Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners. It's another Daily Canon weekly podcast. Welcome. Uh, I'm Matthew Wade, as always, here every week, pretty much. And joining me uh, is our other regular, Anita Sambol, all the way from Croatia. How are you, Anita? Hello, hello, Matthew. It's a bit dark here already and cold, and uh, I don't like it, but the normal football is back again, so that's a good thing, I guess. <laughs> yes. Well, if it's any consolation, it's also dark and cold here. It's just my webcam, for some reason, is really good at hiding that fact. So whatever the weather's like outside, it looks like it's quite bright where I am, even though the room's really yeah, gloomy. Yeah, it looks like it's pretty awesome where you are now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't even know how I managed to turn that setting on. <laughs> but it just always looks well, really my, nice. My, my webcam makes it look uh, even darker. It's like 10 years old, so... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this is because I bought this one years ago for something else, but like for something specific where I needed to have a good webcam, and now I've discovered it does all this other stuff I didn't know about. So there we go. Mm -hmm. Apparently, it can even hide my wrinkles. <laughs> so, moving on from that. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> Apologies to anyone listening that there wasn't a podcast last week. It was partly because it was international break, and frankly, who needs that? Partly because we'd had a, a, a lot of Arsenal news in a short space of time and then had a week of no Arsenal news at all. And it was also partly because I was, uh, instead of being able, able to record a podcast, traipsing under a Roman armour doing some filming uh, somewhere in Walthamstow as one does. So anyway, we're back this week and we've actually got some football to talk about and it's actually Arsenal football. But just before we get on to the Arsenal football, we're just going to touch very briefly on the international football. Not because anything particularly exciting happened from an Arsenal perspective, because it didn't, but because uh, Anita's here and she actually went to an international football fixture. A uh, real fan in real stadium. Shock! Uh, how was it being, I guess, in a reduced capacity stadium watching uh, Croatia against France well yeah I mean it must be it must sound really like an exciting trip for you guys up <laughs> in England without any matches because I mean here it kind of became a bit normal because there are fans allowed in uh, Croatian league as well also with reduced capacity but for the national team it's really fantastic the first match uh, of the round the, of this Nations League round was against Sweden as well, uh, also with uh, people in, in stadium. But I went to the France France match because I mean France is much bigger, much bigger team than Sweden, and seemed a bit more interesting match to to watch. And I mean the experience was really good. I felt felt safe even though there was a lot of people there, but still. Uh, it was in Zagreb Maximir Stadium, you know, the, the ugly one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it usually hosts 35,000 people, so there was a lot, around 7,000 or so people, mm -hmm. people there, and we kept a social distance. You could only buy two tickets under one name, and there were you, you had to sit on that those seats that you were uh, uh, given when you were buying tickets, which is... It sounds weird, but it's not something that people here follow, <laughs> usually. You know, you get the tickets and you go and see wherever you want. Depends on when when do you arrive at the match. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and this now we had to follow all those rules. There was a lot of spacing between the seats, and the people were wearing masks all the time, or at least perhaps not many uh, in the stands, you know, because of the, that distance and everything. But when we were going uh, inside and when we were going outside, there was masks, masks as well. So that felt safe enough for a match. And the match itself was. I mean, it it was okay, <laughs> kind of similar to to what we saw uh, in uh, Arsenal against uh, City over the weekend. It's the uh, same thing with Croatia and France. You just see that it's, uh, one team is a, a lot, a lot better than than the other one. Although the other one doesn't look that bad, they are trying, they are creating chances. Uh, the other team, just like City, uh, France also won, but uh, Croatia managed to uh, score a goal. <laughs> mm. uh, but I mean, the one thing that when I was watching the City match over the weekend that made me think, yeah, this is really similar to watching a Croatia-France match, was that feeling that uh, both these teams, City and France, Kind of like let the other team play, you know, for a certain mm. moment in time, and you could feel that they could, you know, turn turn they, their thing on for at any point in the match, and just go on the other side and score score another goal, which happened uh, for France against Croatia, mm. and City generally didn't need, you know, that because they had that that lead, and France scored the second goal when Croatia was equalized. Mm, mm, mm. So I think that even if we did manage to equalize against City over the weekend, I think that they would just you know put it in an, another gear and go on the other side and just score. That's just the feeling I had <laughs> while watching both of those matches. Well, I think the other similarity, which is that both France against Croatia and Man City against us, there was a there was a greater respect shown by the superior team than there may have been in certain games in the past. You know, there was a certain, there was a like, you know, there was a, they weren't going all out attack. They weren't just trying to play beautifully the whole time. They were kind of being very positionally sensible, you know, keeping, making sure they were keeping the underdog team at arm's length. Yeah. yeah, rather than just kind of doing what they do against teams they're not worried about and just kind of doing what the hell they want. I mean, you know, this this France team, a bit like City, ranges from being very disciplined to being kind of just turning up and doing what the hell they like. And I think against Croatia from the highlights I saw, it looked as though France were being a bit circumspect. You know, they were kind of like, oh, okay, well, we're obviously we're comfortable, but we're not going to take too many risks. That's how it read to me. And Croatia, as you say, just like Arsenal, particularly, in fact, both games towards the end of the first half, you know, they, they could have scored. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, then, and then France, as with Man City, sort of slightly took their foot off the gas and just kind of played a bit more positionally after that, I thought. Yeah. Um, I mean, City had that... Thing that really pissed me off over the match, the tactical falling, especially in the second half, is just oh. yeah. Like I saw it with saying and completely agree with. When did Man City become Stoke City? <laughs> well, I it think it just felt like they should have all of, all of their players should have yellow cards, and I think they got four in the end. But I mean, just oh, so annoying. Well, I suppose the difference with Stoke is Stoke sort of fouled in a way that was clearly intended to hurt. 
Whereas Man City fell in a way which is just, we're not just not going to let you have any possession when we're out of position anywhere outside of your own penalty area. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well planned falling. Yes, yeah, very, the expert tactical fouling. It's it's part of one of the many things. Still very annoying. It is, yeah, it is very annoying, uh, and it's one of the the many things that I find slightly irritating about Guardiola is that he's you know he's put up as this wonderful purist of everything that's beautiful about football and genius and all the rest of it, and he's you know he's just as much of a cynical bastard as anyone else, as you can <laughs> see by the team's rotational fouling and also his. Uh, his refusal to be drawn on any subjects that might make his team appear anything other than paragons of virtue. <laughs> yeah, something we also saw over it, the weekend and in the comments afterwards. Indeed, indeed. I mean, what did you make of the Sergio Aguero getting a little cosy with the, with uh, the assistant referee or the referee's assistant? Or I'm not sure which way they call it these days, but anyway. Uh, Sean Macielis, what, what did you make of that? Because I've heard different takes on the subject. Well, I mean, she definitely didn't look comfortable with that, like she when, how she pushed his uh, her arm away. I think that's, in general, what he did should have been punished because you can do that against any referee, whether it's the main referee or the assistants or linesman or whatever, it's just in the rules that you can't touch referee, you can get penalized for that. Mm. And it definitely didn't look comfortable for her and really frustrating that he didn't get punished for that without you know thinking yeah she's she's a woman and she should he could she he should get punished because she's a woman but just in general thinking of her as a you know regular linesman regular assistant referee hmm. i mean it's not allowed and and i think it's a i mean it's you know the lack of punishment i'm actually less bothered about than guardiola's comments in a way because Guardiola's comments, you know, were, were very much dismissive, uh, and he, he, I mean, it's of course that's one of the things we all loved about Wenger is for all his myopia and his bias, he was able to talk about things in a slightly broader sense. You know, you get the impression with Guardiola that he, his brain doesn't exist outside of football, really. Yeah. Because he just refuses to engage on any topic, you know. And of course, he's not going to want to slag off <laughs> the dubious ownership of Man City and their human rights abuses. I mean, that's that's he's in, he's on sh pretty shaky ground if he does that. But this is one where to to not take the opportunity to just say something on the lines of, you know, I, I'm sure Sergio didn't mean anything by it. You know, he's a lovely guy, but we recognise that it's not a good thing to do. It's, it could be it could be interpreted as disrespectful, and just to make sure it doesn't happen again, so there's no confusion. Even if it's something like that, yeah. it's just just acknowledging that it's that it's a thing, uh, because it, what's difficult is, you know, you the gesture is is tied up whether we want it or not to be with you know the patriarchy and everything else and, and sexism and football and all the rest of it and it, although I doubt very much that was Aguero's thinking certainly on a conscious level you, we can't pretend that that's not relevant uh, and then of course you've got the very fact that putting your hands on a match official is fundamentally against the rules um, 
Now we do sometimes see a little bit of contact between them if it's done in a in a, in a right way. But the fact it it, it was a slightly patronising gesture to whoever was the recipient. Um, and even if we give Aguero the benefit of the doubt and and don't don't suggest that was any an intention of his, I think there has to be an acknowledgement that it can be read in that way, it can be taken in that way by the person on the receiving end. And more importantly, as you rightly say, there's there's sort of no real reason to do it anyway because it's against the rules. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, as you said, these things happen. Players go and touch the referee and talk with, with him or her, whoever it is. And it's it's that's, that's something we haven't seen before or we have won't see afterwards. But I mean, when it happens, you just look like, he, you know, like something that... A lot of us women football fans uh, have been familiar with, you know, men coming there and trying to explain to you what are really the rules and what yeah, you are yeah. actually thinking. Like, yeah, th- that's just how it looks to me at, at that at the moment. And she, you know, you know, the hand gesture that she moved his hand from from her, it just looked like that. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> it, it was sort of half. It it was sort of part friendly, part mansplaining part creepy guy in a bar trying to pick up a girl who really doesn't want him to talk to her. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, There is something that, I mean, in all seriousness, even if we assume that it was uh, a a gesture without any negative intent behind it, it is a gendered action because we see physical contact between players and referees, but we don't see male players put their arms around the shoulder of a male referee in that way. Mm. You know, if if that were to happen, it would be an action that would be some way led or uh, given allowance to by the referee normally, and you wouldn't see quite that body position. So it's still a gesture which kind of you know as I'm sure every woman who might listen to this and I'm sure you need to know far better than me you know a guy coming up to you and putting his arm around your shoulder when he's uninvited is not necessarily something that you're particularly keen on happening um, yeah being there well I'm sure I'm sure um, and uh, and it's interesting that there's sort of been a, an outcry about it but but not from anyone who has the ability to make anything happen. <laughs> yeah, no retroactive action for City. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I, you know, I think the ideas of doing a ban or something, I don't think that's merited, even though it'd be funny. Uh, but I think for, for the fact that the, both the FA and Man City have kind of just tried to go, oh, nothing to see here, <laughs> that's not good. Because even if you give everyone the benefit of the doubt and they say it was, you know, it was just a friendly gesture, there still needs to be a, a recognition of the fact that it's a gesture that can be read in different ways, can make people feel very uncomfortable. It clearly made a lot of people watching it feel very uncomfortable. Uh, Sean Massielis gave the impression of not being particularly comfortable of it being being on the receiving end. Um, now, obviously, we don't want to project into onto her what we feel because her reaction has we haven't heard from her. But there needs to be just something that says, we recognise that this might be a bit dodgy. Let's try not to do this, guys. Even that is... Yeah. But, it, but it kind of like... Uh, it's the dismissal of it, and, uh, which I find particularly unedifying. Um, because how can you dismiss something which 
does affect people. And, uh, you know, the very fact that so many people reacted to it, you know, so strongly suggests that it is of significance, even if, even if, say, you were someone who didn't agree with that being a valid, valid reaction, you still have to acknowledge the reaction. That's how society works. Yeah, not, not a really good weekend for Premier League officials. <laughs> Standard. And the decision makers. <laughs> well, quite, yeah. So, uh, without any further ado, was it a penalty? <laughs> <laughs> I think that it it would have been. Uh, I mean, do you mean the the Kyle, Kyle in our match or in other match? Well, let's go with our match first. Our match, yeah. I think that would be given as a foul anywhere else on the pitch. So why not uh, in the penalty area? I don't even. I don't think it was even looked at. I mean, at least go and look at it. I think yeah. I mean, I'm undecided about whether it was a penalty, but the very fact I'm undecided means that I feel that it probably should have been looked at. Yeah. Uh, Because I I haven't seen it in slow motion, so I I, I saw it at real speed. Um, So I don't know if it's as dangerous as it looks like it might be, might have been, if you know what I mean. It was clearly dangerous play, but the fact is, as I don't know if Carl Walker's foot if the ball hadn't been there, would have kept going further than it did, because mm. I, I've only I've only seen it in real time a couple of times. There now, was a discussion that perhaps it wasn't a penalty, but should have been an indirect kick. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, I, I mean, because I think it's a I dangerous, think... fa- dangerous play, and not a reckless tackle or something that would have been given as a foul and a penalty, but a dangerous play in the area. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I... sure how rules. Dictator. I mean, I think uh, from what we've seen elsewhere on the pitch, I think that might well be accurate, uh, mm-hmm. or at least at the lower end of the accurate potential accurate outcomes. Um, but I guess VAR's take on it is like, well, if it's it's either going to be a penalty or it's not, and then there's no point thinking of anything else. And it's one of those weird things that there's loads of situations where there probably should be indirect free kicks in the penalty area, but you really don't see them very often. It tends to be pretty much just yeah. goalies picking up back passes, and that's your lot, isn't it? I can't um, remember when was the last one I saw. And um, Those are always funny a bit as well. Yes, yeah. There are, there All there's... the players <laughs> standing there. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, we could have had a one, another wonderful moment of having David Louise side-footing it over the bar <laughs> from a set piece. I mean, I, I don't, yeah. I don't wish to bitch about it because actually, I thought Louise had a good game, but like, particularly drafted in the last minute to replace Rob Holding. But um, like, Willian's been brought into the club. He was playing like pretty bad. But the one thing yeah. about Willian, he's a set, set piece specialist, and everyone in the world knows he's a set piece specialist. And then we get a free kick outside the box, and he doesn't get to take it. <laughs> it's like, oh! I mean, how many free kick goals did David Luiz even score? Like two or three in his career? Well, certainly none for the last three or four years. <laughs> That's just like. Yeah. Oh. Which is uh Better have Chaka take it if not really. Yeah, at least at least did at least did twat it really hard in the general direction of the goal. <laughs> <laughs> so at least you've got that comedy thing if it doesn't go in it might hurt someone. <laughs> we have seen Pepe's free kick later on which was much closer and looked much better. Uh, yeah, not not much better. <laughs> A bit better. Uh, I mean yeah, not nearly as good as his heading. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought he had a good game as well. 
Well, I mean, I have to confess, I didn't get to see all of the first half because I was stuck on a bus in traffic. <laughs> uh, but um, so I, I didn't see the first. I didn't, I didn't see the, the sort of period before City's goal. Um, so I was going to ask you uh, what your impressions of the match were uh, overall, but also. Um, you know, obviously the first half was rather more incident packed than the second. Uh, and so I was going <laughs> yeah, to ask. Yeah, much happened during the second. Yeah, so like, firstly, what your impressions of the match as a whole were, and, and also then why do you think there was such a big difference between the two halves? Well, I mean, when the match started, then the Maris had a shot like in the first two or three minutes. It was like, oh my god, not one of those again. <laughs> and he continued to be the a really massive threat on the side and certainly look a bit off perhaps he wasn't training as much during the week before or his uh, self-isolation and everything mm. when we didn't even know if he will get to play against City or not thankfully Arsenal are bigger than Scottish government <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, send your comments to um <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, the first half, it was pretty much City with a little chance, a few chances from, from our side, but they had a full control, I, I'd say, and they could have scored uh, more. But, I mean, it's frustrating that, that the goal that they did score came from practically one error that we did in defense, and that was mm. just Leno clearing it badly after a really good save. He could definitely work on that, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Overall, defensively, I think that we did really well, but it was obvious that we are struggling uh, to create good chances going up front, and that playing Villian as, as false nine was just <laughs> what the hell were you thinking, Miko? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, that was an experiment that may not be repeated anytime soon. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought. From from what I saw, I, I, I was interested watching the the brief. You know, I watched like the two minute, three minute highlights mm. after, the, and I was interested that we had more chances in the first half than I remembered us having. If you know what I mean, mm -hmm. we actually had a couple of like proper good chances. I mean, not great chances, not open goals or anything, but you know, good chances. Um, yeah, I, I looked at the stats and we had more shots in first half than in second half. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely didn't feel like that. <laughs> I mean, I th the second half just sort of started very brightly uh, and then after about 10 minutes just descended into this kind of weird tactical stalemate where neither team really looked like they were going to score. I mean, we, we actually had quite a lot of the ball in the second half. Um, yeah. And City sort of let us ha have it a bit because they sort of retreated into their shape a bit more. Um, and as you say, the rotational fouling. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Uh, Maybe we a were... bit late with the, the substitutions. Okay. I was just about to head there. You beat me to it, yeah. I was <laughs> going to say, with, with the experiment for Willian not really working, Lacazette should have been brought on sooner, I thought. Um, yeah. And it's a weird one. You could kind of, you could kind of see what he was thinking with Willian because he's thinking, okay, we'll get someone in who could drop into the. It's almost like a, like him playing him as a number ten and then having two wide strikers, which we have seen teams do before. But the difficulty is, is and was really exposed against City is, Willian is 
never going to be the guy that breaks beyond. So it's easy for the defenders because they know what they're facing. You know, there's no there's no confusion about the task, and there and, no, and thus no no uncertainty about what to do to deal with it. You know, if you're going to have someone playing in that sort of false nine role, or even as a ten behind two strikers, they've still got to be someone who will occasionally run in behind or make different forms of movement, and that's just not Williams' game, and never has been, and never will be. Um, so it meant that. It was very, it was very easy for City, particularly as they were all already, you know, slightly outnumbering us in central areas anyway. Um, so it kind of, rend- I, I could see sort of the point of it because obviously that he was there partly to not let Rodri have such an easy game, and Rodri, did, you know, got booked early and was a bit quiet, and probably should have got booked again for multiple fouls. <laughs> but um, Unfortunately, as with quite a few of the things that we're doing as a team at the moment, it it kind of made us non-existent as an attacking force. One, you know, except in transition moments, or if you know Saka beat three men as he did on a couple of occasions. Um, yeah, true. I mean, Saka again looked really good. Like he has a lot more experience than than he really does. And mm. I mean, I was just also watching highlights uh, today again. How he didn't score that in first half. I mean, how Ederson saved that with yeah, like, few centimeters of his shoulder. Just oh, frustrating, really. It was really a good, good chance, and he had he he was a part of a few of our our chances going uh, down his side and worked okay. But as, uh, perhaps a bit left uh, Tierney more exposed, and that's why Mares was really a menace in the first half. Yeah, and also as we've seen, Maitland Niles is such a good shutdown one-on-one player, and, and obviously being right-footed is really good at uh, getting in the face of people who would cut in from the right side with their left. I mean, Saka, not Maitland. Yeah, but I'm saying that Maitland Niles is such, oh. a good, such a good defensive player. Then, in one-on-one situations, it means that he, when he's not there, we are going to be more vulnerable down that side. And mm-hmm. and, and if Tierney has got a weakness defensively, a bit like. A bit like uh, Kieran Gibbs used to. He's not very good at dealing with uh, wide men who cut in on their left from the right side. Um, you know, that's one thing that that Nacho Monreal was actually not bad at. You know, well, more than one thing, but that was one thing he was he was quite good at. And even when he was in Spain, he he actually did better against Messi than he did against Jesus Navas because he couldn't cope for pace, but he was quite good at reading players that came inside. And obviously Maitland-Niles being right-footed, he's really good at blocking that up because that's his natural tactic, natural movement anyway, quite apart from his athleticism and quick feet and what have you. And Tierney hasn't quite developed that yet, partly because... With all due respect to the Scottish Premier League, uh, you're not going to get too many players of the quality of Riyad Mahrez playing on the right flank. So, you know, he just hasn't been exposed to those kind of challenges very much. And Mahrez is is also playing really well at the moment, you know. I mean, yeah. you know, he's he was on the outside looking in for large parts of the last year and a half, but he's, you know, he's made himself first choice with a good reason for City. Um so, but yeah, I mean, it, it is this strange thing, isn't it, where it's just trying to find the balance to the team. You know, Arteta's really managed to tighten up the defence to the, to the point that we've got the second best defence in the Premier League at the moment, despite the fact we played it Anfield. Yeah, that's just and, really and the um, um, Yeah. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, we, we're in the bottom half of the table when it comes to goals scored. 
which is again partly influenced by those two difficult fixtures, but is also reflective of the the broader malaise, which is we just don't create chances at the moment, and and it's a difficult. Yeah, I mean we were. Go ahead. We were struggling against uh, weaker teams as well, mm, mm. not only against Liverpool and uh, City when it comes to creating chances. I mean, I think that we have mentioned that before on this podcast uh, that it's tough to expect him to work uh, to fix everything that's, that's broken <laughs> team at once. So he started from the behind and it looks good at the moment, really good without so many individual errors and defensive errors in general that as much as we have been used to <laughs> over the last few seasons. Yeah, for sure. Now it's the coming in the middle and the up front because it, it doesn't really look now good uh, now at the moment. It's Aubameyang is obviously struggling. He doesn't even get many chances hmm. uh, to to even have a shot at the goal. Uh, our Dani Ceballos looks good. I th- he kind of fits in the plans what uh, what Mikel Arteta has in mind. But I think that uh, he actually really misses not signing uh, Awar. That he definitely counted on him for for this for his vision to to work a bit better but we'll have to you know find something to work with it now with what he has yeah i mean it, again it comes down to the same old problem we've been talking about for ages which is the balance of the squad and the squad building and and yeah we, we've got players that we've got a number of players that seem to have been they're good players but they don't fit together very well um in the, in the same way that uh, under normal circumstances you wouldn't have Aubameyang and Lacazette in the same team because although they have differences to them they're not really complementary players you know they're trying their, their best to be complementary players and that's a credit to them but they, they don't you know uh, Aubameyang is a is a pure goal scorer you know he works hard he can beat a man occasionally but his main thing is is you know get running on into the ball into dangerous positions or, or, or very quick reactions in and around the box and good finishing. So he can, contributes very little to overall play. And Lacazette's trying to contribute to overall play, but he's not naturally a number ten. You know he has played that role a little bit, but he hasn't really got that creativity at the elite level. And then you've got Pepe again, who's not really a. We're still working out what Pepe is as a player, um, but he's he's a sort of a bit like Özil. Although they're very different, he is a a player that is quite unique, and therefore it's it's slightly more complicated to know how to utilise him. You know, I mean, we, we've, I'm sure you saw the millions of thread on Twitter over the weekend blaming all our lack of creativity on the absence of a certain German World Cup winner. Yeah. Uh, and my retort to some of that was that, well, clearly he he's the most creative player in our squad, but he only really works with certain team setups and certain types of players around him and at the moment you know we don't have any of the players that uh, we had or the types of players we had when Ozil enjoyed his best form for Arsenal you know when he had Sanchez you know Giroud to play wall passes off Ramsey making runs from deep Cazorla from deep as well they were combination footballers people who want to get into those pockets of space and play 
close tight knit combination football you know archetypal latter Wenger ball uh, which led to those beautiful goals but sadly no trophies um, we do, we basically you know Willian is the closest we've got to that in our squad someone who can play small triangle combination play pass and move and even that's not really his game you know we've got no one who can who can provide the same ammunition from deep as Santi Cazorla did although Sabias is getting better in that regard We'd, our, our wide players are not um, possession monsters they're not technically secure players that keep the ball rotating keep things moving on and we've got and our centre forwards are both more comfortable pursuing the ball rather than again quick interplay type, type work so it isn't as simple as saying oh we just need our creative number 10 it's like well we, if we had Ozil what would he actually do in this team because actually Ozil wants to inhabit a lot of the same spaces that Pepe wants to inhabit um, and doesn't have anyone else in the team that really plays the way that suits his game so that's why I think OR would have made a big difference because he is an archetypal combination footballer you know quick quick exchanges quick movements can beat players clever passer but also very good at playing in tight areas and creating angles for teammates and what have you and we just don't have that at the moment and then you add on top of that the fact we're playing back five and you've got a midfield two, so we're already outnumbered in midfield areas in almost every single game we play. <laughs> uh, so it's hard to know. It, this is this is the test for me. This is the, like, Arteta came in and, and sorted out our defensive solidity far better than we ever expected. But now he's at a point where things need to evolve further and he hasn't really got the right sort of profile of players in enough quantity to be able to do that so how does he take us forward from here and uh, I mean we we talked about it a bit before but does that mean that Thomas Partey is the potential solution to to our midfield what do you think well I I mean he came on for what eight minutes uh, over the weekend I honestly didn't expect him to get any minutes at all Mm. I saw people outraged how he didn't start I mean he had one training session with the team and two games for Ghana as well yeah I mean perhaps he doesn't know all all the names yet (laughs) (laughs) just imagine first few days at at new job (laughs) I I assume that there needs to be some kind of you know understanding and chemistry or something like that they are all professional footballers of course but I still you know you need to at least a bit get to know your teammates before you get a full full on start and try to but begin to be completely involved. Yeah, uh, particularly in against a team like City, who are who have yeah. who you know are always probing for gaps, and so you need to have a, a drilled team to play against them. Sorry, you were you were saying. Yeah, I I hope that he will get start uh, in the Europa League in the mm-hmm. in this week, and then. I think we'll see more of it, how Arteta plans to use him and what he does bring to, to this team. I mean, where I think he's going to make a big impact is not necessarily creatively, but one of the big problems we've got also is we just don't have enough people getting forward in central areas. So the amount of times we have good possession in wide or kind of wide third positions, but then you look out there and you've got Aubameyang out wide, Pepe out wide, you know, Saka out wide, Bellerin out wide, maybe Tierney supporting out wide. And they might be trying to make runs internally, but not really fully into the central area. And then you've basically got Lacazette, or dare I say Willian, in the central area, kind of mompanded by about five defenders or defense or midfielders. 
And it's partly because our central midfielders just do not have the athleticism to be able to break forward and get back. So, of course, they're sitting deeper, you know. It's only in games where, we're, where it's maybe we've got really controlled possession where either of them feels comfortable going into the opposition final third. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, and we've seen late on that being effective when Ceballos got the, you know, the assist for Anchetti the other, the, other, the other week. But I think just party's mobility, A, allows him to cover for people, which means others can go forward if he's staying back. But also it means if he goes forward, there's a chance he can get back which none of our other midfielders can do. So it's 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 about freeing just freeing more opportunities to to support the attack. Uh, I mean we we saw how the dislocation between midfield and attack was a massive problem for Unai Emery where he's basically here's your front three get on with it the rest of us will sort amongst ourselves. Um, and it's a bit of the same thing and it's partly just because it's partly because there's this attempt to try and finally get some solidity in the team um, but it's also the fact that we just don't have enough people that can get up and down uh, who who are also able to combine with other people you know we've got we've got our sprinters and our ball players but n- but the two qualities never meet <laughs> uh, you know, a- apart from the odd Pepe cross or the odd, you know, Aubameyang cross, but they're not, re- you know, they're crosses from wide areas, which is a very different skill. Um, of yeah. course, obviously, long term, you know, if we can end up with a flat back four, then that changes the picture significantly. But um, it looks like from everything we're seeing, Saliba isn't quite as close to contention as we'd hoped. Uh, he played for Anstrin threes, I think. Yeah, yeah, in the three old draw. Cedric. Yes. I mean, what a signing. <laughs> well, I mean, funny thing is, is I'm sort of happy with the Cedric signing. I mean, it doesn't really, it's not a needle mover in any way, but for me, it's like, it makes sense. I've got no problems with it at all, you know. Mm. Uh, a, a, a sort of borderline international standard fullback who's played a fair bit for Portugal, who's willing to be back up on a decent salary. When, when there was big question marks about the two competitors for that position when he was signed. So I've got no problem with that. Uh, ideally, he shouldn't be getting too many games to the under-23s, but we've sent so many of our young players out on loan, I suppose we might as well use it, <laughs> use it to be conditioned. Because uh, about three or four more went out this week. We had uh, James Olyinka went out. Where did he go? I've got this up here. Uh, James Olyinka went out to South End. Harry Clark at centre-back went to Oldham Athletic. Uh, Tlaji Bowler's already been at Rochdale for a little bit. Daniel Ballard's been away for a couple of weeks. Mark McGuinness has gone to Ipswich a couple of weeks ago. Ben Sheaf has been alone in commentary all season. Jordi Osei Tutu's been playing for K- K- uh, Cardiff in the Championship. Zach Swanson, another fullback, has gone to, to Maastricht on loan. Medley's on loan at Gillingham. Amoli's uh, left, although not that he was ever going to make it. And Matt Smith's on loan, so and as well as Trey Corn and John Jules. But we've got like a shitload of fullbacks and defenders out on loan at the moment, and so uh, <laughs> we are going to see things like Saliba playing them twenty threes and, and Cedric getting games there because we need to keep keep them match fit, and we also don't don't want to have our under twenty threes full of sixteen year olds, which would be what happened otherwise. Um, frustratingly for those watching Arsenal contract situations uh, Flo Balogun got two more goals in that under-23 game he of the expiring mm-hmm. contract leaving in the summer uh, but uh, good goal by Reese Nelson 
who uh, is yeah. coming back from injury and hopefully just in time for him to get some time for the uh, Europa League. And Emil Smithrow got some minutes, which was also good as he's he's been struggling with injury. And of course, yeah, I, I expect them both included in the Europa League match. Yeah. And ultimately, if we're going to have to find some internal solutions for our lack of attacking connectivity, although you don't want to put responsibility on those guys, they are more combination-type players. I mean, Reese Nelson's very much a combination player. Uh, needs a bit more assertiveness and possibly a bit more strength. And Smith Rowe is a combination player as well. He just needs to stay fit. Um but we can't obviously expect them to do too much this year, but ultimately they're going to get games and we, we need to hope that they take a step forward because they can provide us some of that possession play in the in the final in the opposition final third opposition half that we just don't have in the squad at the moment you know it's uh, yeah and, and it's always nice to see players internal solutions turning up really yeah. good. <laughs> Well, also, very much from a practical perspective, our Europa League squad is two men short this year because we haven't had enough players who uh, count as homegrown, trained at the club, who are over the age of 21. So, I mean, the players we would have are under 21, so therefore don't count against the numbers. But, you know, they're going to be 21 soon or over 21 soon and too old for that. So for next year for Europe... We need a couple of these kids, you know, Inketia, Smithrow, Nelson, maybe Willock, to step up and prove themselves as permanent squad members uh, alongside the likes of Hector Bellerin, um, simply because from a very practical reason, <laughs> reason we need it to be able to have a, a, a European squad of any depth. Um, well, the pick, picking of the European squad and dropping... Uh, yeah. Papa Socrates come bite us back in the first round <laughs> with, uh, I mean, holding out injured uh, yeah. Chambers and Mustafi, I don't think that they are still match ready. No, they're not. They're still injured. Yeah. Pablo Mar is even further away. We'll have to play the David Luiz and uh, Gabriel again. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, one would hope... Just a few days before going to uh, hosting the Leicester in the Premier League. Yeah, although thankfully it seems like Jimmy Vardy might be out for them, which would be a big, which would be big, big result for us. Uh, I'm sure he will still get time to give out a few interviews <laughs> on how he didn't sign for us. And doesn't regret it at all! <laughs> yeah. Um... I mean, but just on a serious note, you know, the, the, if he isn't going to be fit, that makes our life a lot easier because they don't have anyone else with anything like the mobility or finishing ability up front. Um, which and, and particularly, as you say, if our defenders are going to be knackered, although hopefully at least one of them will get a rest because I, I'd hope we play a back four uh, against Vienna in the in the Europa League. Mm. You know, yes, they're doing very well in the Austrian league at the moment. I think they're second, but. Um, we should still really have enough to take care of business on that front um, while still giving younger players a chance. Uh, and particularly, as you say, you know, it's a chance for Thomas Partey to get some minutes. You know, El Nenny will be back in the team. We'll probably see Cedric. You know, they, they may not be the players that we dream of, but, you know, these are international players who have all achieved success at, at a higher level than the opponents they'll be playing in the first round of the, Europa, the group stage of the Europa League anyway. <laughs> So yeah. we have to we have to put trust in them as far as that's concerned. 
Um, did anything else really spring out from you from the City game at the weekend? I'm really not, not sure. I was just wondering if uh, we will get to see Aubameyang centrally soon <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we gave him a contract extension and then don't get much use of him at the moment. I mean, at least looks like that. Well, I, I think we might do for for a couple of reasons. Um, one, because we need him in goal scoring form, but more importantly, yeah. I, th- I you know our left sided bias that was so effective the back end of last season that involved basically finding different ways to get the ball to Aubameyang. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've noticed almost every apart from Fulham who had, who had their own thing going on, but. Um, every other game this season the opposition has shut done everything they can to shut down that channel um, uh, I mean uh, Kyle Walker unfortunately is a very good person to try and put up against Aubameyang because he's just as quick and is also pretty strong even if he has got his brains in his arse um, but but yeah my, my commentator kept saying Kyle Walker is just too fast he's so fast he's too quick <laughs> Well, he's, it, I mean, he is a fantastic athlete, and that's why he's been able to flourish at this level. Um, but there's also been, you saw against Liverpool, when they moved Naby Keita out to that side of the flank to bottleneck that route. Um, you know, he, even even Sheffield United did that to a degree, just kind of because that's obviously, was, was you know, he's our best goal threat and was an area that got a lot of success for us. And, and until we can get the right-hand side of the pitch to to show an equal level of threat and then god forbid maybe eventually some threat through the center um it, teams are just going to key on that you know and and we've seen that that's you know ober's not getting chances let alone goals and um we've got to, we've got to make be more versatile i mean again it's that it's the double-edged sword you know arteta's managed to put some structure in the team and we've been crying out for structure for years and years and years but now it's how does he how does he introduce some chaos uh, into that structure? So control chaos, yeah. chaos. Well, not even necessarily control chaos, but just chaos that we are determining when it happens, rather than it be, rather than it just happening all the time. <laughs> <laughs> chaos you can turn on and off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, as long as it's not defensive chaos, I'm yeah. okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't miss that at all. <laughs> no, no, no. It's quite nice not shitting yourself every time the opposition has the ball in your half. <laughs> I mean, we did we, we did shit ourselves against City when David Lewis almost scored that own goal. I mean, he just has to have a moment like that in every single match. <laughs> it's just, what the hell was he Although doing? I did notice, actually, at that moment, he did slightly elevate his foot to try and minimise the contact. So I, I don't think he meant to do exactly what he did. But he, he 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 was conscious of the fact that how wrong it could be at the last moment. He was like, "Okay, I need to do something so this doesn't <laughs> doesn't just go in the goal." Uh, and hey, it worked by hook or by crook. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I mean by the the chaos is that it, it's too easy for the opposition now to see what we're going to try and do. And now, obviously, because because the Premier League is no longer full of people managing football clubs who are fucking idiots are only getting the job because they used to be footballers they're actually you actually got coaches in, in charge of teams now they react to that stuff and they change their teams accordingly and um, and 
we have to find a way to be less predictable. That in itself, even without a change of personnel, I think will make a big difference just by hitting more lines of attack and getting more people more positional flexibility um, not just not just the kind of I know let's swap Pepe and Aubameyang around for 10 minutes that's not positional <laughs> flexibility that's really obvious but just having a, you know in-game situations where there's rotation and movement between players even if it is just the front three rotating position even something as simple as that um, when we're in possession will give us a lot more opportunity to well, to move opponents around and make defenders play in areas they don't want to play and make them, you know, who's picking up, you know, ask the question, who's picking up so-and-so? Whereas when we're playing, we're playing in quite straight lines at the moment. So everybody knows who they're picking up. So as long as they're kind of switched on, concentrated, and, you know, that not sort of just in, athletically incapable of competing, we're quite easy to block uh, as things are. And yeah, it's going to be, as I said, it's going to be the first real test for Arteta after his initial introduction because he, he's he got a formula that worked and now he needs to change it. Yeah, something he couldn't have learned from Pep Guardiola who just went out and bought anything that could have fixed the problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, it was a bit irritating having the commentators wanking off about what great business buying Ruben Diaz is and how comfortable he looks. He's like, he costs 70 million quid for a centre-half. He should look yeah. fucking comfortable. <laughs> 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 I mean, Harry Maguire notwithstanding. Harry Although I imagine, just keeps on giving. I imagine your your other half is a bit happier with Harry Maguire this week than he was last week. <laughs> but yeah, they managed to win something. Yeah, I mean that was a funny game because Newcastle actually had quite a few chances in that game, um, yeah. but but then in the last twenty minutes, just fell off a cliff. Yeah, I fell asleep luckily, and uh, he just said once it's. Uh, the first one went in, and it just was so easy afterwards. Yeah, I mean they in got the they, they seemed to get caught. Basically, what it was is United got their got their two one lead, and then and then Newcastle started pushing up, and then against this United team, that's the one thing you can't do is they you know if you if you defend relatively deep, they're a bit lacking in ideas, short of falling over in the penalty area. But if you defend high, then they've got so much pace on the, you know, particularly in wide areas and up front that you're leaving yourself very vulnerable. Um, but yes, you mentioned I it earlier. Enjoy it. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I want to say I did, I did enjoy uh, Bruno Fernandes' penalty being saved. Oh, wasn't it lovely? Because, <laughs> uh, because, like, I mean, sadly, he got a very good goal a bit later on, but oh, yeah, <laughs> he's hard to like, isn't he? And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's got a sl- he's got a sl- he's got slight slightly rodent features. <laughs> I did enjoy uh, Timo Werner at Chelsea a bit too much. I mean, the goal that he scored, first goal against uh, oh, who is it? Southampton. I forgot who did. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, that that first goal was just really. I watched it several times and on repeat. <laughs> I. I- my problem is, is I was really, really, really hoping he might be an expensive flop. <laughs> so I'm not, yeah, I'm... you always you always hope for something like that with the rival teams when they spend big bucks. But yeah, it looks like he works, but Chelsea doesn't work yeah, as yeah. well as 
I mean, you know, that's that's okay, I guess. Credit credit to Pep where it's due. At least he (laughs) recognizes that if you don't buy any good defenders, your defense will be shit. Whereas Chelsea are still entirely reliant on Aspilicueta, who basically his legs are starting to go, because he's he's the only defender that has some idea of a where to stand and b how to tackle, <laughs> <laughs> and of course Kepper uh, with another magnificent yeah. magnificent display, matched only <laughs> matched only by uh, the other game I was going to move on to, which is Alison, not Alison's, um, Adrian's. Just deputising for Ellis on uh, Adrian's schizophrenic goalkeeping performance for Liverpool. <laughs> where he's hot. Pickford was not far, far from as well. Yeah, I mean, the difference is Pickford is a fucking lunatic and everyone knows him. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the way Pickford keeps. You know, I, I, I don't want to joke about this in the wrong way because I know that. Um, I don't know if it's ADD or Tourette's or something, but he has, he has a slight disorder. When, um, but he does kind of goal, keep goal a bit like an eight-year-old kid who's just like eaten five hundred bags of Haribo. <laughs> like he's so fucking hyped up all the time, uh, and probably should have been sent off, even though it was offside. Yeah, definitely. I mean, everyone pretty much agrees on that. And of course, like, it's an- how, what do you think about Liverpool? Another fine example of refereeing inconsistency because, hang on, didn't Mustafi give away a penalty for fouling Harry Kane after when Harry Kane was offside in a North London derby, <laughs> which cost us fucking Champions League football and about 50 fucking million quid? But yet, when England international goalkeeper does it, nearly fucking maims the best defender in the league, who's going to be out for most best part of the season. Suddenly the referees and VAR think, oh, no, nothing here. Yeah, he's, uh, what, four hours offside. I mean, also it's just... It's also like, how can anyone, like, justify what Pickford did there? I mean, that was a horrendous tackle. And obviously my Liverpool friends are all losing their shit at the moment, which is quite funny. <laughs> the, uh, Lee was uh, saying on the Daily Count Twitter uh, how the FA said that uh, Pick- yeah, and Everton said that Pickford didn't mean it. What did he mean? <laughs> I mean, he just literally went into one dike and... I mean, what was the plan there? There was obviously <laughs> no other plan than to hurt the player. I mean... Perhaps, you know, not break his leg or something like that, but to, you know, get him off his feet and... Yeah, I mean, it is one of those things, it's like there is really a limited number of possible outcomes to this action. Yeah. And and most of them are bad. (laughs) 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 Oh, Christ. Mind you... It was a good match. Yeah, it was a good match. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Jesus... What did he? What did he have to eat over the summer? <laughs> <laughs> like he suddenly turned into the next Alan Shearer, but like with pace. <laughs> yeah, he looks really good. I I got him in my fantasy team. Yeah, you need to take Ober out so he can start scoring again. <laughs> I did. I took. I took. I took Aubameyang out for the next round and put in uh, Son. And we'll see how that works. Yeah. Well, hopefully that means Son's due an injury. <laughs> N- knowing how your luck with fancy league strikers tends to go. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of speaking of such things, that was another entertaining result from the weekend, wasn't it? 
honestly, like that. That was. The stats that uh, no other team ever went uh, from 3 0 in the 81st minute to 3 3 in the end. Just personally, just fantastic. I love those stats. I, I, I assume you've seen the clip going around of uh, the, the Spurs fans doing like a commentary thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I have to admit, like, you know, as Arsenal fans, not quite as dramatic, but we have been there, so we know how that <laughs> feels, and it's quite nice to see it happening to them. Uh, <laughs> particularly as Lanzini's goal was ludicrous. I mean, that happens once in a lifetime. <laughs> I mean, fucking hell, what a goal. What, like, absolutely perfect postage stamp there and everything. A, that Tottenham player dropping on his knees, holding his head and then falling down <laughs> on the pitch. That's just... <laughs> like, like, like something out of Platoon. <laughs> uh, oh, just fantastic. You can always laugh at Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great as well because it was only a little bit earlier that people were talking about them winning the league. Yeah, 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 like 60 minutes in. <laughs> Our survey said. <coughs> <laughs> and then they brought Bale on their star player, legend of the player, who came from Real Madrid and was mistreated there and boom, conceded three goals. <laughs> oh, just brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying how I'm enjoying how much you're enjoying it even more than I enjoyed it. <laughs> um I mean, obviously, you know, Spurs have got a lot of teams to catch in the table. I mean, you know, they're behind us. Uh, Leicester City, Liverpool, Aston Villa and Everton. Who would have had Everton and Aston Villa as top two after after the first five games? Particularly as Villa have only played four. Emi Martinez, clean sheet maestro. Fucking hell. I mean, they conceded only two goals. Just really. Yeah. And that was in a game they won eight fucking two. <laughs> <laughs> Against I mean, the champions, Villa this for the season. European Cup. It's brilliant. Yeah, and Liverpool are goal difference zero. Yeah, yeah. It's just even worse than our goal difference. <laughs> <laughs> this is really crazy season. It's tough to pre- predict anything. I mean, I don't expect them to end in top four as the season goes on. I think we had in the past quite a few teams that started well and you thought oh maybe underdogs they look good they might be a surprise but I'm from a, you know like a selfish point of view I really hope that none, neither Everton or Arsenal Villa win the league in the end because I would die you know, another weaker team winning the league before we do in my uh, time as Arsenal fans just ugh. yeah it's nice to see the underdog win the league who doesn't have so much money and everything like that but after Leicester I really I would much rather have City win the league than well it's it's <laughs> nice to see the underdog winning the league or Liverpool again but it's nice to see the underdog winning the league as long as really bad things are happening to the clubs you really hate <laughs> like you know if if you end up with like Spurs and Man United and Chelsea and maybe Man City all finishing out to the, out to the top six I'd take that <laughs> yeah okay I mean that doesn't sound bad from, from particularly uh, as it would, particularly as it would screw Spurs totally financially yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I have to say uh as a non-neutral observer, we could do with a, an, another Harry Kane uh, Achilles injury. 
quite mm-hmm. sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's another two weeks before the international break. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so as you say, we've got, uh, just looking forward, um, obviously we've got Vienna in the Europa League, uh, Rapid Vienna in the Europa League on Thursday, playing away in Vienna. Beautiful city. If you ever get a chance yeah. to go there, I can give you some nice recommendations where to get food. <laughs> I was there twice. Ah. <laughs> well, it is a bit closer to you than it is to me, frankly. Yeah, I mean, if, if there were fans, fans allowed and the situation was normal, I think that we would... Yeah, that would be... There. It's like a four-hour drive from, from where we live, so... And it'd be a good away game. It'd be a good. It'd be it'd be good fun, I think. But anyway, yeah, exactly. we can't do it. So bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> Today is actually three years since the trip to Belgrade when uh, we played against Red Star. Yeah, Western. yeah, yeah. So it's nice. I was looking at the photos again and videos, and nice to remember and really miss traveling in general, especially to away days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just miss other humans. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then, we, and then obviously we've got the Sunday, the seven fifteen on Sunday evening kickoff. Uh, what mm-hmm. against Leicester? <laughs> um, I mean, how are you feeling about the Leicester game on the horizon? Well, it's it's a tricky one. I mean, they look good, but they have two losses in a row. If yeah, correct. Yeah. So might be a good chance for chance for us if we don't play William as false nine again. <laughs> no. I I, I, I I see that as unlikely. <laughs> I think that there's a good chance for for a home home win there. I know. Yeah, I think so. I, I I'm I'm feeling positive about that one. I mean, I think uh, as I said, I mean I said it earlier, but I think the absence of Jamie Vardy allows us to play a slightly higher line, which allows us to actually compete better in midfield. Because Leicester's strength is really their midfield and, their, and to a degree their wing backs, but it's their midfield. And um, you know, having Vardy up top means you can't press that. You can't compress the game very well because he's so fucking quick and, <laughs> and, and so much perpetual motion. But if they're if they're having to play uh, Iheanacho or Slimani up front. That's a whole, you know, Iheanacho's reasonably mobile, but he's not quick, quick, quick. And Slimani's, you know, very dangerous in the air, but that's about it. Um, So it'd be interesting to see also against a team that will give us slightly more... You know, they had a great defence last year, Leicester, but individually they're not as good as Liverpool's defence or Man City's new defence, despite both Liverpool and Man City getting tonked (laughs) this season. Yeah. so, but it should be a really tight game. I think it's going to be quite tense, and I think we'll only nick it by a goal. Uh, yeah, sounds sounds about right to me as well. I, I'm I'm hopeful for a, a two-one. I'm not quite sure who's maybe in Kesha off the bench playing the Danny Welbeck role with a with a, a, a late goal from a set piece, slightly scrappy. I'd I'd, I'd settle for that. Hopefully, with a goal or two from Vienna. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Or six, yeah. <laughs> um, and we have to we have to mention, even though it was international yawn, but uh, big congrats to congrats to Eddie for becoming England the twenty ones record all time goal scorer. Uh, yeah. Particularly as he did it at a better goal to game ratio than any other striker in English history, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, at that level, which has to be uh, appreciated. Um, and if he, you know, it's it's funny though because you look at the 
the, the previous two top scorers at that level for England and you've got slight slight divergence you've got Alan Shearer more of that please yeah or Franny Jeffers not so much that um, so we have to hope that Eddie takes more after the former than the latter <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> But it is quite nice to be able to say that his goal scoring record at that level is about three times as good, three times better than Tammy Abraham. So, that's really good, yeah. Yeah. Um, even though he did manage to miss a penalty in the game hitting the post, he then five, <laughs> five minutes later scored the winner with what was an incredibly ungainly but very clever finish. <laughs> right, well, I think that's probably about it for us this week. Um, I mean, we'll obviously have a lot more to talk about, but for once, there's no transfers or transfer speculation to get tucked into. Yeah, it's um, so nice, isn't it? <laughs> well, it, it's nice as we've actually bought a player that we really wanted to buy. It'd be <laughs> that makes you feel a bit better about the transfer window being shut. So, yeah, I uh, hope you all have a lovely week, everyone. Um, we'll come back to you next week. As I say, we'll try and get some questions for you next week, and we've got a couple of games to talk about then, so hopefully, hopefully it'll be two wins and six points and spread across the two relevant competitions but yeah have a lovely week um, thanks again Anita as always for well everything <laughs> always a pleasure Mitch yeah, <laughs> just, just sort of being here and not being me thank you and laughing at Spurs yeah and giving a statistical laughing at Spurs which is particularly welcome okay uh, have a great week everyone and uh, speak to you after two wins this time next week cheerio bye bye